A young rabbi new to a congregation quickly saw that there was a pretty serious problem within the congregation. During the prayers at the Sabbath service, half of the congregation would stand and pray. The other half of the congregation would sit and pray. Both sides thought they were right and had very strong opinions as to which was the tradition of the synagogue. So this young rabbi, nothing he could say, nothing he could do could resolve this split within his congregation. So he went to the nursing home and, and looked up the, the founding rabbi of the church who was 99 years old, living out the remainder of his days there at the nursing home. And he explained the situation and said, I, I really, really need your wise counsel. During the prayers at the Sabbath service, I need to know which is the tradition of the church. Is it the tradition of the church, Rabbi, to stand and pray? The rabbi said, no. And so the young rabbi said, aha, then it must be the tradition of the congregation to sit and pray during the prayers. The rabbi thought about it and said, no, that wasn't the tradition. And the young rabbi said, well, sir, what we have is total chaos. Half of the congregation stands and shouts, and the other half is sitting and screaming. It is pandemonium. And the elderly rabbi thought a second. He said, ah, that's the tradition. That's the tradition. And we've been talking about this reality, right? That when you really are in authentic fellowship, when, when you're walking with other people deeply, conflict is inevitable. Hopefully it's not like that, right? Hopefully it's not that bad. And hopefully it's not all of the time. But some of the time you can reasonably expect to, to live with some degree of tension when you're doing life with other people. And the Lord has called us, this is what we've been talking about, the Lord has called us to be good, at being peacemakers, to be good at that in our relationships and occasionally uh, in the, when we have the privilege and honor to enter into other situations and help other people resolve a conflict in their relationships. And part of this we talked about with Abigail last week. Part of it, an important part, is to be grounded. And that means that while perhaps others are being carried away by their anger or by other negative emotions that that we are able to stay centered, right? Part of being grounded means that when you do get involved in a situation where there is conflict or you find yourself in one of those situations, you don't expect everyone to be on their best behavior. You don't expect to see um, someone's best self when they are angry and upset. Um, part of it means being grounded as a peacemaker that you understand that, that the outcome is not certain. When you get involved in a situation where there are strong disagreements or strong emotions or hurts from the past, um, that there may not be a, a certain or defined resolution. You don't know exactly how it's going to turn out. Now, a lot of that sounds scary, right? But here's something that's, that's pretty great. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Amen? The Holy Spirit lives in us. Paul tells us in the book of Galatians that we are like a garden and the Holy Spirit living in us is producing fruit. And when you think about the fruits of the Spirit, they are peacemaker fruits. 
I mean, it's love, it's patience, it's peace, joy, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, it's self-control. It's just the sorts of things that you are going to need to be equipped to be a peacemaker in your relationships. But one important, important footnote, let's just stick on this. Look, even when you are a strong, mature, Christ-centered person, and that other person in the conflict is a strong, mature, Christ-centered, even then, conflicts will arise from time to time. We know that. I don't think that's a newsflash. But it's good to acknowledge that. And Acts chapter 15 gives us plenty of examples of this, right? Acts chapter 15, by the way, and I've said this before, I'm going to keep saying this because this is important. If you think the Bible cannot be trusted, if you think the New Testament is a bunch of made-up stories, look, Acts chapter 15 is not what you would find if the New Testament were made up. If Luke were inventing stories about the church to make it look good and to kind of sell this new faith to the world, he would not have included Acts 15. It it contains, and not only Acts 15, but other places, they will share honestly about the experiences of the early church. And you will see some things that are maybe a little bit embarrassing. Acts chapter 15 would be one of those places. There are two kinds of conflict. There is a a global, church-wide conflict. And let let me just talk about, we're not going to go deep into that, but but basically it was this. Um, You had for the first time Gentiles, uh, non-Jewish people coming to faith in Christ, giving their lives to Christ, being baptized into Christ, being added to the church. It was very exciting. But there was a conflict over this because the question was, should those new believers who have no Jewish background, should they be required to adhere to, to follow, to honor centuries of Jewish rules and traditions? Okay, And there were important leaders in the early church there in Jerusalem who said, absolutely. I mean, this stuff is, this is centuries of tradition. Um, This is about honoring God. Of course they should be asked to follow these traditions. And then there were other leaders there in the Jerusalem church who said, Whoa, wait a second. We're Jews. We haven't even been able to follow all of these rules and traditions. So why would we put this burden on these new Gentile believers? And there was a big fight. I mean, you can read about it. There were meetings. There were strong opinions. There were passions. There was a big fight there in the Jerusalem church. And thankfully, uh, we hear that it was resolved, that there was an agreement. You can actually read uh, a document that came out of this disagreement uh, that they finally compromised on and reached this accord on. And it really was a compromise. You can tell that from the wording of the document. Next in Acts chapter 15, and this is where we are going to key in a little bit more this morning, there was not a global church-wide conflict, but an interpersonal conflict, a conflict between two people, two very special people to the history of the Christian church. One was named Paul, one was named Barnabas, and they, they got into it, and again, these just are not the kind of stories that Luke would make up, Okay? So they add to the credibility that when you're reading, when you open your Bible and you're reading these stories from the New Testament, that these really happened. This is the kind of stuff that happens when people get together and do life together. 
So let's go to Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, a.k.a. Mark. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their agreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So Paul and Barnabas were not getting along. The NIV translates it as a sharp disagreement, which caused them to, quote, part company. Um, The King James Version puts it this way. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder from one another. ERV, Paul and Barnabas had, quote, a big argument. It was so bad that they separated and they went different ways. The message puts it this way, tempers flared and they ended up going their separate ways. This is from the Bible, folks. This is not something we're making. This is what Luke tells us. This happened. Okay? So I want you to write this. On your outline this morning, there's some blanks you can fill in, starting with this one. It goes like this. Paul and Barnabas parted ways. Okay? They parted ways because of a significant disagreement about the participation of this guy, John Mark, as a teammate. Okay? So what happened? What, what, what led up to this? Well, previously, we don't have a lot of information, but we do know this. Previous, previously, in their mission work together, Paul and Barnabas had added this young man, Barnabas' cousin, okay? They had added this young man, Barnabas' cousin, John Mark, to their mission team to help out, to be kind of a junior partner. And early on, very early on, Mark quit, and returned home to Jerusalem. So here's what we do know. We don't know why. We don't know why he quit. But here's what we do know. Paul believed, because of this early departure, that you just couldn't count on John Mark. Paul believed there was some defect in this person that made him unsuitable to be a missionary team partner. So whatever John Mark's reason, we don't know what it was, but whatever that reason was for going home, Paul was not going to let it slide. He remembered that. That was significant to Paul. Things boil over when Paul and Barnabas have the opportunity to once again add John Mark onto the team. Barnabas is like, absolutely great idea, and Paul is, no, no way. And so the two leaders fought over this. Barnabas wanting to give his cousin a second chance. 
Paul not wanting to give him a second chance, and the disagreement was significant. I mean, you can tell that from the different versions we read this morning. The band broke up over this. Paul and Barnabas separated over this strong disagreement. Now, I don't know where you line up on this. I I guess without having all the information, I would say I most naturally line up with Barnabas. I mean, I have been given a lot of second chances in my life. I love receiving second chances, and I like to give other people second chances too. Okay, so so I kind of line up there. But I also, if I think about it a little bit, I do understand Paul's point of view as well. I mean, Paul, remember, he had been uh, playing for the other team for much of his life. He had been attacking the church. He had been hurting the church. He had been doing everything he could to stop the name of Jesus, the gospel from spreading around the world. And now, now that he's received Christ, now that he is a disciple of Jesus, he is going to use every moment of every day, every ounce of energy to make sure that he does as much good as he possibly can do for the kingdom of God. And that means he's willing to be arrested. We see that in the New Testament. He's willing to be beaten. We see that in the New Testament. He's willing to be stoned nearly to death. We see that in his story as well. And so you've got John Mark, this rookie, okay? This rookie who early on, for whatever reason, just quit. And Paul just doesn't need someone like this slowing him down, right? That's my take on it. So I kind of see both sides of this. Um, and with the benefit of hindsight, we know, let me just go ahead and cut to the, kind of to the end of this. We know John Scott, I mean, John, not John Scott, the other John. <laughs> I get confused with all these Johns, these two named Johns. Let's call him Mark. We know that Mark went on to be a significant leader in the early church, wrote uh, the Gospel of Mark, and was someone who Paul actually ends up partnering with later in life. So all was forgiven, and, and the story you know, works out all of that way. But we don't have enough data, nor do I think it's wise to try to decide who was right. Okay, Who was right about it? Was Paul right about John Mark? Was Barnabas right about Mark? I mean, which way? we don't have enough data to make that. What we can do, though, is we can take what Luke gives us at face value and try to learn from it. So, and I think this is the interesting question we're working on in our Peacemaker series this morning. I think it's a very interesting question. Specifically, what should you do in a conflict when the ideal situation... okay? When the perfect outcome, when it just isn't available. When option A is not on the table, how do you proceed? And we've all been there, okay? Sometimes, for whatever reason, the best outcome, the one where you talk it out, you all agree, maybe there's some tears, definitely there's some hugs, and you, you continue together in unity... We've all been in situations where that just isn't an available option, okay? So what do you do with that? Well, like Paul and Barnabas, you may need, this is on the outline, you may need a healthy break, okay? Strong disciples, and I think that's important. It's not that they're weak in the faith, okay? Strong, mature believers can reach an impasse requiring them to separate for a time. Now, again, we're not advocating that. We're we're dealing with the real world here. 
And thankfully, Scripture deals with the real world. And so we see there in the book of Acts, verse 39, that they parted company. They parted company because of their disagreement, because they could not come to a resolution on this. So I'm glad Mark told us about this. I really am. It's a relief to see that believers, strong believers, that they can reach an impasse, and it's okay. It's not ideal. It's not what everyone wanted, but it's okay. And I think for Jesus, I mean, we know that he wants us to be these Holy Spirit-filled peacemakers. He's equipped us to do that. But we also know that the Scriptures share with us that there will be these moments, hopefully rare moments, but moments when we'll find ourselves at a spot in a moment where a resolution is just not there. It, it's, this issue is just going to not be resolved. Okay? So perhaps, and there are a lot of reasons why, the issue, why maybe it can't be resolved. There may just be so much hurt, so much baggage, I think is the word we use these days, from past offenses that you can't be grounded or the other person just can't be grounded that i mean you just can't engage with that person or with that issue because there's just too much raw hurt that's still there perhaps it's an issue or it's an, it, it's a dilemma that you have talked over and you've discussed it again and you keep having the same conversation ad nauseum and there never is an agreement about what the best course of action is. That can happen. And we're not talking about, like, so we talk about this and separating and healthy separation. We're not talking about a disagreement about, you know, Longhorns versus Aggies. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about, you know, which is the better sandwich, tuna salad or chicken salad. We're not talking about those kinds of questions. We are talking about a significant issue that, it, unless it is resolved, is going to really kind of hold things up is going to keep you from moving forward. Something like, <laughs> something like this in Acts 15. We are packed and ready to go on the missionary journey. Should we or should we not take John Mark? There was no way for Paul and Barnabas to both get their way, and neither one of them clearly is willing to concede or bend on this. So they, it's an either-or situation, right? So often, you can just agree to disagree. You know, this really isn't that big of a deal to me. You can make concessions in that way. But sometimes, a choice is required, uh, and that choice may involve parting ways or separating for a time. Uh, obviously, for par Paul and Barnabas, I think we could all agree, this was not uh, the first option. Okay, that's why they kept arguing about it. But after the dust, the dust settled, it did turn out to be the best option. Okay, so there are situations where the best available choice is to take your path away from the other person, at least for a time. It doesn't have to mean, of course, that you are totally disconnected it doesn't mean that at all. And we see that, in fact, in the writings of Paul himself. Um, you can make a faithful investment in that relationship through prayer, even when you are physically going a different path. Okay? Prayer. So a faithful investment, even while apart, we can bless a relationship or a person through prayer. 
And I've got a couple of different passages here. Importantly, the first one is from the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he writes about how we pray for other people of faith, other people in the family of God. He says, pray in the Spirit at all times, on every occasion. So yes, even that occasion, pray in the Spirit. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So pray for that person. It may not be easy for you. But Paul says pray for that person. And then Jesus makes it crystal clear. Yes, we are talking about even the people we have difficulties with. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, But I say to you, love your enemies. But meaning you've heard, hate your enemies. Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Right? So Paul, who is in the middle of this conflict, urges us to pray for other believers, all believers. Jesus says, yes, even them, even the ones you have issues with, uh, they're included in that as well. And we can do this, okay? We can do this. Uh, Praying for someone. Paul says pray for. Jesus says pray for. Praying for someone means inviting the Lord to work in their lives. Inviting the Lord to change them according to his purposes, not your purposes. It means inviting the Lord to bless them, to take care of them. That's what praying for somebody means. And prayer is an important way to stay connected even when your paths have separated. Okay? Also, we learn from Paul and Barnabas here that the Lord can actually work through situations that are less than ideal. I think we've all seen that in our own lives. We certainly see this here in their story. I mean, think about how the kingdom work was multiplied through this division, if you will. Um, It was multiplication through division that they ended up with not one but two mission teams and more work ended up being done with Barnabas and John Mark and Paul and Silas. So the next bullet point there is the surprising outcome. We realize it's not just us in the conflict, and that is a very hopeful thing for believers. We realize God is part of this as well. Um, so there, is, there are surprising possibilities when God is involved. Like God can use times of separation to accomplish amazing results. And so just you have this description, and then you see it play out throughout the rest of the book of Acts. Uh, It goes like this, starting in verse 39. Barnabas took Mark, sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So these two mission teams are born out of this less than ideal situation. And finally, as believers, we keep the door open to possible reconciliation. We keep that door open that down the road we can work things out. Look, God didn't quit on us, amen? So we don't quit on people. So this is the next point there, a possible reconciliation, and we see this in this story. Um, While a time of separation can be healthy, disciples look to eventually, when possible, come back together. When possible, come back together. Over the years... So Paul, we saw, had big issues with John Mark. But over the years, Paul's mind changed with respect to John Mark. Maybe it was because Paul grew. Maybe it was because John Mark grew. But it changed. We see in a couple of verses there that John Mark, over time, became a respected, a respected partner of Paul. Not just that Paul started liking him, but no. 
John Mark actually helped Paul out when Paul was in prison. All right? And then we see Paul commending Barnabas, respecting Barnabas, honoring Barnabas in a couple of places there as well. So you've got both of these kind of examples of how reconciliation occurred in this particular situation. Okay, newsflash, relationships are messy. (laughs) Relationships are messy. And here's a confession I'll make as we kind of end up this morning. For years, I had this really idealistic image of the New Testament church. Okay? Like the New Testament church. Oh, that's the ideal church. That's the church that they had it all figured out. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church just like the New Testament church? And then my opinion changed. Thanks, Bible. Because the Bible shows us Really good people at some of their really worst moments. The Bible doesn't spare us the grimy details that, yes, even the New Testament church had issues significant, bigger than this. Okay, If you read the book of, of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, you'll see, bigger than this even. That's significant issues. And so, I mean, the point is not to disparage the New Testament church. It was great. It's just that when there are relationships... When there's fellowship, when when we're moving forward together, when we're doing life with people, the only option that we have is to do life with people who make mistakes. The only option in this life is to have relationships with people who are sinners, with people who fail from time to time, people just like us. That's the only option we got. So we need grace. Grace for ourselves. Grace toward others. Amen? Yeah. Leonard Sweet, author, wrote about a situation he encountered in his life. And I'll finish with this as we close out today. He writes, Tom Wiles served a stint as university chaplain at Grand Canyon University in Phoenix, Arizona. A few years ago, he picked me up at the Phoenix airport in his new Ford pickup and whisked me away to a keynote at a leadership conference there at the university. Since I, Sweet writes, since I was still mourning the trade-in of my Dodge truck, we immediately bonded sharing truck stories and laughing at the bumper sticker truism, nothing is more beautiful than a man in his truck. As I climbed into his Ranger, for the ride back to the airport a day later, I noticed two big scrapes by the passenger door. What happened here? I asked. My neighbor's basketball goal fell and left those dents and those white scars on my truck. You're kidding. How awful I commiserated with my new friend. This truck is so new, I can smell the new on this truck. What's even worse is my neighbor doesn't feel responsible for the damage. Rising to my newfound friend's defense, I said, did you contact the insurance company? Are you talking to a lawyer? How are you going to get him to pay for it? Well, Tom replied, This has been a real spiritual journey for me. After a lot of soul-searching 
and discussions with my wife about hiring an attorney, it came down to this. I can either be in the right or I can be in a relationship with my neighbor. Since my neighbor will probably be with me longer than this truck, I decided that I'd rather be in a relationship than be right. Besides, trucks are meant to be banged up, so I just got mine initiated into the real world a little bit earlier than expected. I like that. And I am glad that we worship a God who loves us in spite of our bumps and dings, in spite of all of that stuff that we bring into the relationship with a father that he loves us and forgives us, extends grace and promises an eternity with him. That makes me happy. And this morning, maybe you just need prayers over a specific relationship or issue that's been going round and round for a long time uh, in your world. You just can't seem to get resolved. Or maybe this morning it's that. Maybe it's, it's time to cross the line of faith and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be baptized into him. However you need to respond, let's stand and respond this morning together.